Okay, so here's how you get there. First, you're going to hop a flight to the El Paso airport. Then you're going to rent a car, and you're going to drive about three hours roughly south and east through the Chihuahuan Desert, straddling the Mexican border most of the way. Eventually, you're going to make it to the town of Marfa, Texas. There's 2,000 people, give or take, and one stoplight. Nothing unusual for West Texas. But if you poke around on the town website, you start to notice something weird. There are 18 restaurants in Marfa, or roughly one for every nine people. You can buy custom boots or hats in Marfa, again, pretty West Texas, but you can also pick up some mid-century mod furniture or organic soap. On the surface of it, none of this makes sense. But you have to dig deeper in Marfa, and that's what we're doing today. Welcome to Art Openings, the podcast where there are no gatekeepers, no stupid questions, and art for all. Hosted by Courtney Jordan and Samantha Sanders and sponsored by Artist Network. So, Courtney, today we're talking about Marfa, Texas. Um, Informal poll. Lots of people have heard of it. (laughs) Lots of people haven't heard of it. We have heard of it a lot. (laughs) Um, This is maybe the third or fourth time we've talked about Marfa recently, but... um, yeah, so maybe if you're not in media or maybe if you're not deep in the art world, um, Marfa might just be a blip to you. Um, but for some people, it's been going for quite a while. It's a town in West Texas in the middle of nowhere, like we said. Um, takes about three hours from anywhere to get there. Um, and basically, it's become this huge art pilgrimage site. And mainly that's thanks to one man, Donald Judd. Yes. So Donald Judd, heavy hitter of modernism, Um, probably like the godfather of minimalism, definitely different than a lot of modern artists in America in that (laughs) Judd was super smart and he wrote a lot of art criticism, studied philosophy and art history and definitely spearheaded the modernist break with art history past. Like he was not interested in looking to the old masters or, you know, Monet and bowing down or Matisse and just like uh, kissing his feet. He believed, you know, post-World War II and all of the, I think, disillusionment that was going on uh, in society. He just didn't think that anything in the past could speak to his present. Um, So that was the first thing. Like as a modernist, he broke with trying to build up illusion in work, right? Speaking about metaphors or ornamentation. He wanted real things. And the sophistication of his work is oftentimes the simplicity of it, you know, in my mind. So let's break down what a typical Judd might look like. So Judd was primarily a sculptor. That's what he's known for. So if you were to picture like a big steel box that's open on um, both sides in the middle of the desert, that's a picture you might have seen and you might not have realized, but it's in Marfa. Um, And since Judd was really into the idea of art, how would you describe it, Courtney? Art sort of having its own permanent showcase like not necessarily being in a museum setting he felt like that was false right absolutely so Judd it was weird so Judd was in New York City in the 60s and he was popping off like that was his moment and yes in Marfa where he was able to build sprawling um, objects he didn't like the word sculpture FYI people Um, he he believed they were called objects um, or he called them that But he thought that work was best put in a permanent place and left there. Um, There was a, 
I, you know, in museums, even, you know, we like revere them. He thought it was like cheap, like a uh, display case where stuff was swapped out every month. And he thought that was insincere. And there was game playing happening in the art world, which is totally true. And that a lot of people were just full of bullshit. And he was kind of fed up with it. So what he was seeking was an antidote. And Marfa in every way was an antidote to the things that he was fed up with. So Marfa gave him quiet. It gave him space, right? He bought, I think, 60,000 acres and then another 350. Um, He could sprawl. He could experiment and have no one looking over his shoulder. And what, like you said, we've been studying... Judd a lot lately and at first I was kind of in awe of him like oh he's just this like you know weird shaman guy out in the desert doing things he was also a control freak like down to the Mm -hmm. nth degree but also that's kind of a beautiful thing when we're talking about creativity to like be the absolute master of the work Mm -hmm. and that's what he showed in Marfa everything was built to his specifications um, from the, you know, the pergolas and the tables and the chairs and the courtyards of his estate or compound Mm -hmm. to how the works were placed in the, you know, army hangars that he had renovated and stuff. So, again, like total control and able to really see out his vision with no compromise. Yeah. And if you want to kind of get a look at that without um, going to Marfa, you can take a look at where Judd started, which was New York. Um, There's actually a museum on Spring Street in New York City um, that was where Judd lived and worked. I believe it's four stories. Um, You can go and you can take a tour. There's small group tours and you're actually walking through not only the place where Judd created art, but you're walking through his living space. And what's really interesting to me about that is that there's really no separation. The guy absolutely walked the walk and talked the talk. So if you go in his, let's say, kitchen, you're going to see a table that's unlike any other table. Judd was not the type of guy to go out and just buy a table at Ikea. (laughs) So he had to construct a table. Everything was very utilitarian and everything had to serve a purpose and everything had to be constructed well. Like you said, he was a control freak. And I think his dad was a carpenter. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. So he's like... Dad points. You get dad points right there. Dad points. Yeah. So he's like really intense about um, specificity and proportion. Um, If you look at the massive windows, it's kind of like when he moved into Spring Street, it was, you know kind of nowhere um soho right right yeah so at that time when he moved in in the 60s it was semi-abandoned um just big open warehouse spaces and so that's he took over this whole building raised two kids there um and if you're walking around you can actually see these massive windows that overlook spring street and overlook the city and everything within the the rooms is in proportion to the windows. And at first you think it's just kind of like an accident, but nothing with Judd is an accident. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what's critical to understand when you're looking at his work. So he's in New York for, I don't know, a couple decades maybe. Um, First doing criticism and then kind of um, being kind of in the New York swirl of artists and just starting to feel really confined. So he wants a place where he can spread out. He wants a place where he can create work and then the work just stays there instead of having to get a crane to move these massive pieces into his bedroom, which is what he had to do in New York. (laughs) So he first looks at California. California is not super welcoming. There's not anywhere he can just sprawl. And he'd been going to Marfa, Texas, um, I think just for vacations, 
for yes. a little while and realize that it's Texas. They're pretty lax about like how much public space you can have, um, how much you can sprawl, what you can construct on the site. So he actually bought an old army barracks and turned it into the first iteration of kind of his studio space. Yeah. So one thing to bring it back to New York and relating those two like seminal places for Judd is that he started something in New York and then he carried it over to Marfa, which is he believed in the integrity of architecture first. So as you walk by the Soho spot, it's not like you can be like, oh, my God, this is so weird, because the outside of the architecture is something that he he responded to. He thought it was honest and functional and there was like an inherent beauty or appeal in that. And so inside, he sort of stayed true to that, right? Made like echo chambers of that, those um, proportions and the symmetry. Same with Marfa. The buildings that he bought on the, um, the army base were kept for the most part in their sort of exterior, but then he made changes that were reflecting the experience he wanted you to have with the work inside. So it was almost like the work became amplified out of a single box, let's say, in um, on a concrete floor is echoing out to the, the exterior of a building. So he started it in New York and it was just sort of whetted the appetite and he sort of blew it all out in Marfa. Yeah, and one of the reasons we wanted to talk about Marfa today on the podcast is that the upcoming issue of Artist Magazine is the place issue. And we're going to have a feature story on Marfa so you can actually see what it's like. We're going to have some video up soon um, so you can see that it has become just a true mecca for art and it's moved beyond Judd so that it's this whole place that not only is influenced by all the artists and art coming there, but also influences the art being made there. So we figured who better to talk to than the current mayor of Marfa, um, Anne-Marie Nafziger, who is also an artist and a painter. And she had a lot of things to say about how the land and the topography in Marfa and just the quality of the light influences her work. This is Anne-Marie. Hey, Anne-Marie, this is Samantha calling from The Artist Magazine. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Do you mind introducing yourself and sharing your title? Sure. Uh, I'm Anne-Marie Nassiger. I'm an artist, and I am the mayor of Marfa, Texas. Um, I love this community and, and everything about it. And there's, of course, the art the arts component of it, but, but there's just an amazing local community here. And I'm yeah. also real involved with the school and, um, it's just, it's a great place to live. So I'm, I'm, I feel lucky to have the opportunity to live here wow. and make work that's so inspired by mm-hmm. this place, especially this surrounding landscape, but also to really serve now uh, the community in the way that I do as mayor. So how do you feel like it's changed since the first time you visited or when you first moved there and now? What to you as a resident is different? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, a lot has uh, changed in Marfa because of the tourism mm-hmm. that we that we uh, have around, much of it around the uh, arts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm organizations that are here, as well as there's also a lot of tourism folks who are coming to go down to the National Park mm-hmm. and come through Marfa 
uh, it's just it's become a really popular destination, obviously, and it, it was. I, I, it, it wasn't. It wasn't so much. There weren't so many people coming uh, when I first moved here in mm-hmm. the early 2000s. Certainly, there were. There's, you know, a lot of, of course, businesses and amenities that have grown up around that tourism. Mm-hmm. So hotels and restaurants, and there's certainly so much um, activity mm-hmm. um, that that just is around the tourism and arts. So. Um, I think that that certainly changed the feel of the town in mm-hmm. a lot of ways for someone who lives here. And some of that is it's certainly nice to have more options mm-hmm. um, for food and things to do. Um, there's one thing that has changed, though, as for the community that um, is is. I'm not as positive as that there are so many things to do that mm-hmm. even though we're a small community of people who live here, when I first moved here, there were things, you know, there would be maybe, there would be one dance with mm-hmm. the Tejano band at the Mac building and kind of everybody went there. Yeah. And now there are different kinds of things to do and we're a really diverse community. Yeah. And so something that I'm always looking for in my work both in the community and as mayors, ways that, like, where are our shared values and what are the mm-hmm. things that bring us together? And that's something that I think becomes really important for us to think about as Marva continues to grow and change. And there's so much attention from the outside world on the arts and tourism, mm-hmm. but there's a whole community of people who live and work here all the time. And so I try to really um, focus on that part of the community so touching uh, again on the arts, um, mm-hmm. how do you think, and this is a very broad question, how do you think sort mm-hmm. of the geography of the place and the topography of the place, how do you think that they influence the art that's created there? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, obviously that that depends a lot on the individual artists mm-hmm. and their own concerns, obviously, and kind of the the filter you know, being a, and if you're the artist, being the filter for whatever it is that you're taking in and mm-hmm. putting out into the world. Uh, for myself, certainly the, the uh, just, I mean, in a really broad and general way, the just great expanse of sky mm. and the light and the way that the light affects um color and the distance with which one can see mm-hmm. is is a really inspiring thing to me and evokes a kind of sense of freedom that mm-hmm. I think whatever it is that I'm working on, whether it's, a, you know, it could be a painting or a project or just a, even intention of, of something that I'd like to do or see happen, mm-hmm. there is a, a broad sense of freedom that I think often you know, people would would describe as you know the West, this vast mm-hmm. and open feeling, and almost a, and then the f- people who are drawn to areas like this to live and work tend to have a, a you know a, a entrepreneurial spirit or that kind of that freedom is is something that's really important to them in their work and what they do. So I think that the I think that place and the landscape and topography like you asked about that's that's what it um 
that's how it affects me in my work. Mm. And I think that, that broadly, I think that for a lot of artists, their, the output might look very different, mm-hmm. but I think there's probably a shared sense of the way that space feels. And, mm-hmm. and I would broaden that to even not only artists, but many of the people who have lived and here their entire lives or, or, or who've moved here. I think there's certainly a shared real um, respect and love for, uh, for the land. Okay, well, thank you so much. You are a delight, and I really enjoyed talking to you. All right. Thank you so much. Again. Okay, thanks so okay. much. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be back in a second after a word from our sponsor. From sparking your creativity with art projects and simple art hacks to painting and drawing techniques made simple, Artist Magazine is dedicated to helping artists live an artful life. Artist Magazine is produced by Artist Network, the largest online artist community and art resource website in the world. You can find the latest issue on newsstands and in select bookstores and art retailers, or start your subscription today at artistnetwork.com slash subscribe. So our April 2018 issue greets spring with a flower extravaganza. You'll discover why yellow is having a moment, an art prompt inspired by Van Gogh's sunflowers, and the story behind the third-generation Dutch florist responsible for the Metropolitan Museum of Art's famed flower arrangements. So if you feel like you haven't heard of Marfa, you may actually have seen evidence of Marfa out there in the world. Um, The last couple of years, probably five or six years, really, it's kind of been trickling out um, everywhere. So one of the first places I feel like a lot of people saw it was um, Beyonce stopped by the Prada Marfa store. And Prada Marfa is this actual, it's not a real Marfa, it's not a real Prada store. So it's an installation, art installation, that's just, it looks like a shoe store from the outside. It's about 30 minutes outside of Marfa, um, in the middle of the desert, again, in the middle of nowhere. And you come upon this very... um, Weird. Hoity-toity <laughs> looking store. And the Instagram picture that Beyonce took was her sort of like jumping up in the air in front of it. And that was the first place where a lot of people saw any kind of evidence of Marfa. And now it's sort of everywhere. There's a show on Amazon called I Love Dick, which is about Marfa. Um, is it about Marfa or is it just set there? Like, do they actually are like... I mean, it's set there, but I feel like everything that's set in Marfa becomes about <laughs> Marfa. Because it's such an unusual place. Right. And there were some movies you were telling me, you know, I'm so... Oh, no. There Will Be Blood was yeah, filmed there? Yeah, I think, right. And then No Country for Old Men. So they were both filmed there in the same month, which is kind of weird, in this very small town. Which, though, is trippy when you think about the, like, landscape quality to both. Like, it does. It feels... Yeah, it's a flat expanse, kind of in every direction. Oh, another place you might have heard about it is the Marfa Lights, which is this weird phenomenon that's been happening for decades, where people thought they were seeing UFOs, and other people were like... What is that one thing they always say to swamp gas? I don't even know what that. Yeah, weird light. Where swamp is. Light reflection off the. Yeah, or headlights on the highway in the distance. But the reality is, there's a park there, and um, every night people go and they camp and they see these mysterious lights that still, to this day, (laughs) science has not been able to explain. So that's another place you might have heard of Marfa. Hmm. Totally trippy. Well, Amazon last night did me some favors. I found three rando Marfa encroaching. Um, I don't know. Marfa is now a one-minute song on the Cosmic Campfire music album slated to be released this year. It's actually one minute and seven seconds long, so I'm sure mm. it's every second will be powerful. Mimo Marfa is a um, perfume that's selling for $275 <laughs> for two and a half ounces. And then Minnie goes to Marfa. 
Minnie is the quote unquote most adventurous cat in the world. And on the cover, it's just this weird wall eyed cat. Is it a uh, book? Yeah, it is. It's a book. Why would and a cat be wintering in the desert? I think it's because these people, I did some research, I can answer that. They, the authors, I guess, owners of Minnie are um, capitalizing on her, I guess, artistic status and mm. just wrote a book about a place that they call full of mystery, fun surprises, and a place that's magical. So all of those things describing Marfa in the past year. So, you know, Marfa's coming up, <laughs> making inroads into the general population's psyche. So, because neither of us have actually been there, I mean, let's Tragic. be honest, um, we thought that we wanted to go to the sources themselves. So, we also spoke with uh, Kate Green, who was the um, curator at the time of the interview um, of Marfa Contemporary, which, trivia, it was at the intersection with the only stoplight in Marfa. Um, so, it's pretty easy to find. But in true Marfa fashion, that gallery has now moved on, and they wanted to use the space for a different kind of... Um, art endeavor. So Marfa Contemporary is no more, but by the time this comes out, I'm sure there's something equally exciting there. But Kate told us a little bit about her experience moving from a place. um, She actually kind of talked about something really interesting, which is that she was from the Pacific Northwest, which she thinks of in terms of its verticality. There's all these beautiful, tall trees. There's mountains. Um, And she said it was a real adjustment period moving to Marfa, which is nothing but flat expanse and you really have to get on that level to be able to deal with it you have to be able to cope with being three hours from anything um, aside from like a couple small grocery stores so this is what Kate had to say about her adjustment to Marfa Partly, you know, even, you know, I've been like most of us been to other remote places and it maybe is even more distinct in Marfa because it's a desert landscape. So it's Mm -hmm. quite flat and the sky is so large because the horizon line is so low. And and then you see kind of uh, mountains around you. So um, anything that kind of sticks up the town, people is so, so kind of distinct in that very horizontal Mm -hmm. landscape unlike maybe in a more tree-heavy landscape where, you know, people or buildings kind of fit in with the trees. There are no trees yeah. to, to, um, to set that off. So it's kind of the cultural... Um, the culture is very distinct from the landscape, and mm-hmm. therefore each one kind of very much stands out. And um, I'd say the remoteness very much stands out. It's very quiet in Marfa, you know, mm-hmm. very few. You never hear really you know, much traffic or, you know, honking or <laughs> there's just very little noise. There's very little noise and mm-hmm. um, beyond, you know, nature. And so that kind of the feeling of being so far from the rest of uh, or what, you know, kind of any urbanity or mm-hmm. people, really any massive people, um, that feels very dominant. And, and then the community, which is, very rich, um, extraordinarily um, uh, heavy or laden with really creative, interesting people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that's quite striking. Unlike other small towns, you have this very concentrated grouping of people in the, in the creative community. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is so different, this kind of horizontal, this horizontal, the horizontality of having grown up in the Northeast and Northwest. Yeah. much more used to the landscape being dominated by trees, tall trees, especially in the Northwest, of course, like really mammoth trees. 
and um, I don't think I ever thought about the verticality of the Northwest before that. I mean, in comparison. Yeah, nor had I until I kind of tried tried to figure out what was so different about this landscape and why I had actually had kind of a hard time mm-hmm. living in it for quite a while mm-hmm. and um, and feeling at home in it. Um, and once I kind of figured out what was so different about it, I think I was able to appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the legacies of having uh, big name artists like Donald Judd kind of. Um, you know, be the first person to be make this town known, even though it was on the map for a couple hundred years before, um, is that his being there really drew a lot of other artists to the area. So you've got things like um, large cultural institutions now that actually keep Marfa moving forward. It's not, like Judd said, it's not living in the past. So you've got um, not only the Judd Foundation, but you also have the Chinati Foundation. Um, Both of those do a lot of work to bring in artists um, and residents from other parts of the country, other parts of the world. So Marfa is constantly getting this kind of influx of new creative blood there. Um, And I think a great point that the mayor made is that you can kind of go any place and have sort of the two-day tourist experience. You can go to Chicago and kind of like check things off the list. And she said that Marfa is very much the same way, Um, even though it's a really small town, even though you can walk around it and, you know, however long you can walk around it. um, Because it's a town for artists and not so much for art spectators, I guess you could call them, um, everything's constantly changing. So you might have a two-day exhibition that is switched out um, while you're there. Uh, yeah, and there's constantly people coming in and out. So it's a it's a pretty vibrant place that's always changing. I think one of the things I really love about the idea or the reputation of Marfa is nobody's looking over their shoulder when they're making this work. I mean, that's certainly not what Judd did, and I think he's the root inspiration for a lot of the things that are happening now. So artists are creating work that is sort of blueprinted on the things he started. Um, and and that's, a, in my mind, a really beautiful thing because it is about the quality of an object and your experience with it and literally, like, the air between the two of you, right? Like, negative space um, was crucial for him. So when you have a work out in the middle of a field, it's about you observing it, but you're also seeing the sunlight shift across it as the day you know goes by the wind the smell the Mm -hmm. you know the minute um texture of the concrete that Mm -hmm. was poured to like a millimeters width of specificity right Mm -hmm. so all of that and you observing it all or not you know sitting on the work or taking it in and you know the fields and the the dirt all the things around it the setting itself those are all um becoming part of the work Mm -hmm. and you know big sky country right that's what a lot of the places in the southwest are tagged as I mean that's it's the landscape is immense and yet he found a way to um match that Mm -hmm. I think or you know find a way to integrate with it so it all um like coalesces I think the thing that helped me really like get over the barrier and kind of understand judge Judd, because let's be honest, he's actually very hard to kind of wrap <laughs> totally, your brain around, totally. um, is the idea of like, okay, imagine that you're in a public park and you see like uh, some kind of statue, some hero from some war, um, some heroic figure. Can you picture it in a different park? You probably could. But the 
pieces of art that Judd created, the large scale sculptures, the idea is that they are implicitly of that place. You should not be able to go to a different place. You can't plunk them down in Vermont and get the same experience. Um, It's absolutely of that place. So that's why Marfa was so critical to Judd and why I think it's become so critical to other artists along the way. Right, because you have Dan Flavin, right, the the light sculptor whose work is um, site specific um, on on the the grounds of Marfa. Um, Robert Irwin just finished, I think it was like a seventeen year mm. commission there, and they're all sort of playing with that. Like this couldn't happen anywhere but here. Like it is that specific to literally the windows in one hall knowing the time of day and how you and your eye will will see the space and then you know turning a corner and it's a very different experience because they've built it out that mm-hmm. way so you, i mean it's just these immersive environments which it's funny because judd is like a minimalist right that's the word he's tagged with and he hated it and in fact the more i've studied his work the less minimal it is it's just more like environmentally broke like Mm -hmm. all of the bells and whistles are not in the pieces themselves which are made from you know plywood and Mm -hmm. concrete and um, aluminum but it's in the light and the air and the reflections and the beautiful shadows Mm -hmm. and becomes this you know much richer experience as opposed to just the object itself Mm -hmm. so do you feel at all cynical about Marfa do you feel like is Marfa over (sighs) I hope so. I think when something's over, that's the only way things can actually be inherently awesome again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When people aren't like scrutinizing it and wanting to be part of it and all that. Um, but I think a bit or, or like an interesting question also is, is Judd best in Marfa? Because you and I saw him at MoMA mm-hmm. and, you know, his work in a museum setting is weird. Yeah, more sterile in mm-hmm. my mind. And I think he probably would have agreed and that the lifeblood of it was probably best, you know, felt in Marfa, like the, yeah. the way he could control everything. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think it's over. There's still interest out there for people. Um, it, it would be cool. I feel like if they maybe got a little bit less tourism and in our right. small way of not being able to afford going there, right. we're, we're doing that for them. Because how many people are there in the population? 2,000. And they have like 40,000 tourists and mm-hmm. travelers come there a year. So, I mean, yeah, that's gross. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, I don't even understand that amount of, you know, influx of strangers who are just sort of in and out and doing that. But do you think Marfa... I agree that Donald Judd made it, but I'm also like, I'm over paying homage to dead artists. We do it all the time. And it's like, there's so much happening there. I mean, if you were to go there and I were to go there now, I think the place would become its own inspiration for us. And that has nothing to do with Judd. Yeah. So I think in that sense, you could say Judd's Marfa is a little bit on the decline, on the way out, because it's, and that's a good thing, I think, because there's this whole infusion of people with different views, different media that they're using. It's not all sculptures there. Um, There's plenty of other kinds of fine artists who are coming and making a home in Marfa. So um, I would say maybe that era is coming to an end and hopefully Marfa gets a little bit of peace and a little bit of space (laughs) and, uh, you know, just room to create that so many people move there for once again, so they can keep making great art. Yeah, I mean, Donald Judd for sure was a trailblazer, but he's not the only one. 
So, Marfa, we definitely haven't been there, but... We definitely would go. Yeah, we would. T- I would totally go. You would totally go. Um, I would want to see Prada Marfa. I would want to see the Judd stuff. To be honest, I don't care about anything else. I really? Mean, I mean, I know that's assholish, and it's not that I wouldn't stumble upon something and be like, oh, that's amazing, but I know what I'm there for, like take me to it you're checking out the list yeah i mean i it's a pilgrimage like take me to the holy grail like let let's do this thanks for joining us for this episode of art openings we'll be back next time with uh what are we doing no clue yet let the universe tell us later okay just like they told us about martha all right uh this podcast was recorded at banana peel studios and bushwick and this podcast has been brought to you by artist network